0: Let's pray and then I'm going to open up some scripture we're going to read and, um, and may the Lord just touch our hearts Why don't you just become aware of the presence of the Lord right now You know Jesus says that he will never leave us He'll never forsake us He said nothing can separate you from his love So right now Why don't you just engage the heart of the Father, boldly come into his throne room, just become aware of his presence right there. Become aware of you, Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father. We thank you for union, communion. We thank you for joy and hope. We thank you for peace, Lord God, and healing. Lord, we just release healing into the homes, Lord God. Of everyone who's streaming right now in Jesus' name. God we release healing in Jesus' name, that headaches would leave right now in Jesus' name. That sickness would leave in Jesus' name. We welcome your peace, the peace of God. Lord, that fear would leave in Jesus' name. God, we ask for the joy just to be released today into the homes of everyone who's watching. That your joy, Lord God, the joy of the Spirit would start to bubble up. That abundant life, the Spirit of God that's going to bubble up, the living water that you've placed within us, would that just bubble up right now? The joy of knowing you, the joy of new life, the joy of eternity, the joy of hope the joy of being filled with love, the joy of being set free from ourselves and being full of you, the joy that you have a hope and a future for our lives, that you've ordained us for a purpose. Lord God, that we are not just sitting, waiting, but we are ordained and commissioned with a purpose. We are highly valued by the living God. And the most amazing thing that we are now your family, that we're your sons, your daughters, we're in the family of God. Would you just restore joy, Lord God, where there are lies, where there's hope has been deferred, Lord God, where people are feeling sick, Lord God, where emotions have overtaken us and replaced the truth. Would you restore your joy and your truth, Lord God, to our lives in Jesus' name? Because I know your promise for us in this season, in, in season and out of season, Lord, is that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I'll ask for just victory, Lord God, and hope, Lord God, kindness and love, Lord God, to fill the homes and fill our lives as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, um, you know, as I was meditating just over this last week, the Lord's been speaking to me out of a passage that I love, and it's... It's um, out of Matthew chapter 14, and it's the story of Peter walking on water. I love this passage because the Lord always is just continually... He has spoken to me out of this passage so many times. I remember um, He used this passage to talk to me about um, when I was actually about to... I think I was engaged to my wife, and we were going to get married, and I was really nervous because um, I had these conflicting things in my life. I felt so called to... To my wife Rebecca, she wasn't my wife at the time, my fiance Rebecca, and I, I felt like I was really called to marry her, but then I had this other thing in my heart, like very, very strongly called to serve in the nation of Israel, and, um, you know, and my wife, she loves the Lord, she had such, a, she has such a heart for Jesus, and her prayer was like, God, use me anywhere you want in Australia. And, you know, <laughs> and I was like, God, you know, I just felt like he had called me from, you know, from sort of when I went to Israel in eighteen as an 18-year-old to go and serve there. And she had no heart for Israel. And... Um, And not that she didn't like the Israeli people she just didn't have a heart to go and live there and i remember this conflict that we were in and god was working and i went and spent some time actually up on the cathedral ranges um back remember when we could go camping um so i went camping up there and um up in the cathedral ranges it was sort of um i I hiked to the top and pitched my tent and i was hanging out up there with the lord and i was eating my muesli bars and warming myself and um I remember the Lord started to speak to me out of this passage, and he said to me, he said, uh, when does faith ever actually make sense with the mind? Now, when did it ever make sense for Peter? We're going to read this story about Peter getting out of the boat, where he's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. His mind's like, this is going to work. I'm going to step out of the boat, and it's going to become solid. And... Um, you know, I just want to encourage you as we as we open up the Word. May the Holy Spirit speak to you today, because um, I really felt to bring a message of hope, but also um, not just of hope, but a message that if we grab a hold of it, if we take hold of this this hope, this this truth, this um, recipe. Um, not only do we get hope, but we get to rise above the storm that we're in and we get to be more than conquerors, the more than conquerors. We get to rest in the place that Jesus is resting right now. And um, so let's read that. Matthew 14, verse 22 to 25. Okay, so immediately, this is Jesus. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now it's interesting just to just to give you a bit of a background. Jesus um, had found out that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. And um, you know, John the Baptist, when he met Jesus, he says he leapt within his mother's womb originally. So there's this deep connection between John the Baptist and Jesus. And then don't forget that many, I seem like at least two or three of Jesus' disciples were actually previously John the Baptist's disciples, right? So then John the Baptist dies, and could you imagine, like it, it, gr- it would have grieved the heart of Jesus? His disciples would have been shocked by this as well. And you know they've been flat out doing this ministry and teaching and traveling, and suddenly he, he gets killed, and it says, <clears throat> it says that Jesus decided he heard about it, and he withdrew from there in a boat to a desert place to be by himself. So this is the prelude to this story and he withdraws with his disciples to be by himself and i want to encourage you like the lord wants to be with us in every season and if you're suffering grief like the lord grieved take the time to exp- that i think the key to to seasons is not um continually trying try to be a strong person or push through it's discover god in every season that's the key to success in life it's not being upset it's not that we can't um, feel or experience the emotions of the season. But the, the key is that we find God in the midst of that season. And sometimes we replace God with busyness. We replace God with ministry. We replace God with things that we think we should be doing. And I love that Jesus, he, he was able to put his ministry to a on hold right there, found out about it, grabbed his disciples and said, we're going to go to a desert place because I need. He said, he said he needed to be by himself. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not weakness, and I think that sometimes, um, you know, even in my own life, when we feel vulnerable, we we try to strengthen ourselves or hold on to things that we think are going to keep us sustainable or hold us up, and they actually end up making us sink instead of just finding Jesus or finding God in the midst of that. And so he heads over there, but as he hits this place in the wilderness. the crowds come and gather around. They find out about him and his disciples' words spread. And next minute, he's having another massive crusade over there, teaching them. And it's getting late at night, right? So they're emotionally exhausted. They might be physically exhausted. They've crossed across the lake to, get a, to go on a retreat. Could you imagine? Could you? Um, um, I've been in ministry for for a few years now and, and sometimes you can be very exhausted. I'm just trying to imagine my wife and I going on a retreat to Queensland to get away and then you know being asked by you know eight nine different pastors come preach at my church can you and this is essentially what happened. Jesus was trying to get away and people are wanting his time and he has he is full of compassion he's able to dig deep into what God's given him and continue to sow forth and 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 allow the kingdom of God to be released out of his life. Because that's, that's the key. Even in the midst of vulnerability, there is the more of God for us and for the situation when we rely on him. Amen. And so Jesus does this and the disciples are like, send them away, send these people away. It's getting towards evening now. It's getting dark. These people need to eat. I think the disciples are also probably emotionally still exhausted and feeling upset because of John the Baptist's death. And they wanted to grieve through that. And Jesus says, no, we're going to feed them. So they end up feeding um, 5,000 people, right? So it's evening time. They've, can you imagine feeding 5,000 people? You got a dozen disciples. You know, I think it's the dozen. It might be the 70, but even then, you've, you've done this huge feeding campaign. And then after that, you've got to go around and pick up all the leftover pieces. So this is late, late into the evening by now. Finally, they pick up the 12 baskets, and Jesus says, get into the boat, and why don't you head across the sea? And he goes and spends some time. He finds that time with the Father. Okay, verse twenty. so verse 22 we read. And so verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, the wind was against them. So if you know the Sea of Galilee, um, it's not a huge, it's not a huge, actually, um, body of water. It's 53 kilometres around, the, it's 13 kilometres sort of wide in its widest section, and 21 kilometres long in its longest section, but it's not a huge body of water. But what we see here is that the disciples are probably late into the night trying to, to row maybe 10 kilometres across the ocean. And it says it's in, in the, I think it's the fourth watch now, the fourth watch is between, like, um, between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So just imagine how exhausted the disciples are. They've got the wind blowing against them. They've had the crowds that they've fed. They've got the emotions. They've, they're struggling with, with you know, John the Baptist's death. And Jesus isn't even with them. And they're trying to get across in the middle of the night to the other side. Meanwhile, Jesus has gone and spent some time with his father. I love that he's gone and spent time with the father you know i, I think um i think that in life and, and i encourage you if you're feeling exhausted there's nothing wrong with sleep there's nothing wrong with taking rest but uh there is sustenance that comes from being with the father i've experienced it in my own life we ran a an outreach at a bush doof and it was we ran for seven seven days and through that time, we had thousands and thousands of partygoers come through this tent and we literally fed hundreds of people. We saw hundreds of miracles. We saw, um, uh, like, I, was at, I think 80 or 90 people give their lives to the Lord. It was just a crazy time over these seven, seven days. Um, but we, in the midst of that, we were able to just find time with God and nurture ourselves. And the crazy thing was that this, you know, these festivals, they, they sort of go day and night. <clears throat> and so we, I remember it was, I think it was like five days during that time that we, we maybe got 10 hours sleep across those five days. And I remember feeling so filled with the presence of God, the, the power of God, um, and we had this one night where actually two nights in a row where we stayed up and we were just ministering all through the night. And by five o'clock in the next morning, I mean I can't stay up after like 12. I'm I'm wrecked, my eyes dry out, I start feeling terrible, you know, that awful feeling. Two o'clock in the morning, you're like, I really should be in bed. I didn't have any of that. Five o'clock the next morning, we're casting a demon out of a man, and we're seeing like it was just crazy. But it was so the when you, the presence of God is there, He's in our lives. He, he really is the one that can sustain us and he gives us strength and he quickens our mortal body. And I would encourage you that we can run to a whole lot of different areas, but we need to run to the Lord for strength. He wants to... We, Jesus, Jesus went to his Father. That's ultimately what we need in this season. You know, I feel like if you're if we see this season which we are in as a trial um or even a tribulation or i don't know it it, it, it's it can be a struggle for us but it's only a struggle when we see it through the lens of our own capability and our own abilities but if we put god into the into the equation we put god into our lives and we 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 realize that he's the one that's carrying us and he's walking with us through it. Suddenly, there's no impossibilities anymore. There's no way that we lose. And so we see Jesus, he's taking the time with his father. And (laughs) I love it. Like He wants to get away. He spends time with his father. And next minute, after spending time with his father, he's doing a sign and a wonder. He's walking on water. You know, he's just like, I mean, I would have loved to have been in Jesus's headspace at that time going, okay, cool. Now I'm going to just start walking across the Sea of Galilee out to my disciples. I mean, I don't know, like maybe he heard God tell him to do it. I don't, I mean, we know that Jesus only did what his father told him to do. He said um, that he doesn't do anything in his own authority. So he was he was human, but he was in perfect communion with God. And he, his power, he says, came from his Father. And so he yielded to the Father and he was the presence of God on earth. The Holy Spirit and the Father was pleased to dwell in him. And so he operated in that power of communion and union with the Godhead. And as he, he starts out and he sees his disciples, and um, I think it's so funny, he, he came to them walking on the water, and it says, I think in the Gospel of John, it says that he was on his way, and he was going to pass them. I think it's just like, he's like, hey, catch you later, boys, you know, I'm just, you know, I'll see you when you get to the other side, and they see him, and like, you know, I think it, it's, it's rainy, it's, I, mean, I don't know if it's raining, but it's windy, it's, it's dark, it's four o'clock in the morning, so he mustn't have been too far off, you know, I don't think he was like a hundred meters out there, he's probably just whistling as he walks past the boat and the disciples freak out. And it says that they were actually terrified and said, is it a ghost? That'd be scary, right? I mean, it's mind-blowing. They're they're very much in the natural, right? They're battling a natural wind in a natural boat um, with exhaustion. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I. Do not be afraid. I love it. <laughs> I mean, talk about mind-blowing. I just feel like, I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, in our darkest places, Jesus loves to turn up. And, and often it really is around that issue of do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do you know fear is really, um, I think Graham Cook says this, fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. That's all it is. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. And so he says, be of good cheer and do not be afraid. It is I, very matter-of-factly. And, Jesus, and Peter's and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Oh, I love that. You know, I was thinking about the motivation. Why did Peter want to come to Jesus? As a couple, as a disciple, you know, if you understand the discipleship model, um, a rabbi would take someone and would train them to be him. He'd take, you know, if, I was, if I was a rabbi and I, I took Liam and said, yep, Liam, you've got what it takes to become who I am, to carry my message, to take my yoke, to understand my law. And, and so as a rabbi, I'd take them on a journey of living and pre- teaching them to pray and to serve. And then they would take that yoke on and then they would train others. And I'd lay my hands on them when they believed that they were ready to be released and they would become their own rabbis and they'd make their own disciples in the ways that I taught them. And so, number one, as a disciple, you know, Peter's sitting in the boat and he's thinking, well, Jesus, if you're doing that, then I need to do it as well. I think that could have been one of the motivations, but I think another one for Peter was his desire to know Jesus. If it's you, because he, he could have asked him to jump in the boat. If it's you, you know, jump in the boat. I think Peter wanted to get out of the boat. It is crazy. Sometimes we think that our safety is found in the boat, but the boat's in the middle of a storm. And a sinking boat or a boat with a storm against it is not the safest place to be. The safest place to be is where God is, where Jesus is. And so we see that he, he, um, Jesus says, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I've seen the pictures of Peter getting out of the boat. He's done like two or three steps and then he's sinking. But here it says he came all the way to Jesus, got to him. Boom, came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, "O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, Amen. You know, I, I just want to... I don't think we realize how much doubt and faithlessness robs us of the kingdom. I mean, that seems pretty harsh, don't you think? I mean, Peter's the only one who got out of the boat, and he's the only one who got the lashing that time. You know, all the other disciples are sitting in the boat. I mean, Jesus rebuked him for his little faith. But I don't think we realize how much faith plays in us walking in the promises and the inheritance that God has for our lives. I don't think that God is angry with Peter as much as he's angry with with the kingdom of this world continually trying to come in and drown out the kingdom of God. Faith is, again, fear is just faith in the wrong kingdom. Suddenly he looked around, he saw the waves, he saw the wind, and he started to get afraid And he was more afraid of his situation than his faith in Jesus who was next to him. I mean, it's crazy, don't you think? This guy's walking on water, yet his circumstances still, his environment still affected his faith level. And what was it? Let's just boil this right down. It's the way he thought about the situation. He went from his mind going, I don't, can't even comprehend how this is going to work. But he obeyed Jesus in stepping out of the boat. What led him? It's the love of God. I really believe it. It's the love of God, the love of Jesus. So he said, it, it, it provokes us to jump beyond our reasoning to grab a hold of the C-O-M-E, come. And Jesus tells us to come to him. He's always calling us to Come. But then in a moment, he looked around and his eyes shifted off Jesus and he started to sink as he became aware of the natural environment that at that, po- at that point in time, he was actually walking upon. He was actually overcoming. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen it actually multiple times where I've, I've experienced people, I've met people who've had healings. They've experienced it in their bodies, right? Right. It's become a reality and then something will happen, generally like a level of fear or it'll come back and the faith that they had is lost and they'll start to sink back into that sickness. Faith is, faith is not something, I've spoken about this before, faith is not just this element of conjured up belief. Faith is relational trust in the one that we love. Really, it's a relational trust in the words of that one. What, were the, what, was, what was Peter walking on? He worked, walked on the word C-O-M-E. That was, that was what enabled him to walk on water. Come. Obeying. Listening to the voice of Jesus. And he goes on to say, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I love that. Maybe some of the storms in your lives have not stopped yet because Jesus wants you to find him in the midst of it and learn to overcome there before it becomes a peaceful reality in your world. Maybe he wants you to learn to walk upon the wind and the waves first before he calms them because that's where he exists. I don't know about you, but Many times in my life, I've been just praying for the wind and the waves to stop instead of finding Jesus and saying, "If that's where are you in this midst, and if that's where you are, I want to come to you, I want to meet you there." You know, in this, in this time, this season, I, I feel like um, and, and this should be encouragement, because James says that trials and tribulations we should be of good cheer when they come. I feel like things are going to get more difficult. I feel like we are going to discover in the church the joy of the goodness of God, even in the lack. That the goodness of God is not just having um, the work and our houses and a nice school and a nice family life. That's not just... Because the disciples who wrote, you know, the, the writers of the New Testament, they, they discovered the goodness of God in the midst of persecution, in trial, in famine. And I feel like there's this rediscovery that's going to happen in the next few years around the depth of the goodness of God in the, la- in the midst of lacking. We're going to discover Jesus walking upon the water in the midst of the storms and the trials. And Jesus sent them in the boat and he told them to go there. So they weren't walking in disobedience. This storm that they were in, was, was the, the, and, the, and not only the storm, but the situation that they were in was a direct response to their obedience to Jesus. So think about that. Three o'clock in the morning, where else would you like to be? but halfway across a 12-kilometer you know, lake with waves and storms and you're battling it and it's trying to push you in the opposite direction to where you're supposed to be going. You know, I remember um, I was thinking about some stories where I've seen God come through, where I've had to learn to fix my eyes on Jesus so steadily Um, because the tribulations and the trials and the um, the arrows of the enemy and the situations are so heavy coming towards me that if i don't i knew i was going to sink back in 2006 i just finished up my university degree Um, i was trying to find a job as an aerospace engineer couldn't do any of that so i ended up baking muffins at muffin break and that was really fun my friends were all Asked me what I was doing for work. And I said, I was a muffin baker. And they'd all be like, why are you doing aeros- aeronautical aerospace muffins? And they give me a hard time about it. And I felt terrible about it already. But that just made my, you know, self-worth just drop more. And about halfway through 2006, um, actually, it was actually February 2006, um, the Lord told me, I want you to go to Israel on the 17th of July this year. That's all he told me. It was very, very clear, though, I was sitting by the, the creek at my parents' farm and um, I heard it very clear and I had no money and I didn't have a job at the time. And I said, I don't know, but I'll do it. And so it just kept ringing on my heart. So I, I found a um, travel agent. I said, OK, I need a book, a ticket for Israel on the 17th of July. Um, this is back in March. How much is that going to be? Oh, that'll cost $2,400. I'm like, OK. And she's like, would you like to pay for it now? I'm like, actually, is there any way I could just like book it and not pay for it? She's like, yeah, no worries, we'll book it for you. Um, just do a $100 payment and we'll just do a payment plan up to July. I was like, sweet. So cut a long story short, I end up getting a job, end up working, and I made, um, made just enough money to sort of cover my flight and have a couple hundred dollars left over. And that's right, the Lord told me to go to Israel and he said you had to go to Israel from July the 17th and you're gonna spend 10 weeks in Israel and then you had to come home. So I had no idea what I was gonna be doing there, where I was staying, who I was to do it with. I, I didn't feel like I was supposed to go with a mission group like I'd done before. So I was just sort of, it was so up in the air. Two weeks before I had, was about to leave, Um, I was getting a little bit stressed. I had just finished paying off my ticket and I had about $800 in the bank account. And I remember the Lord saying clearly to me, you're not to tell anyone about your financial situation, you're to trust me. You're not to ask anyone for any money, you're to trust me. You can ask people for prayer, but that's it. And so I wrote up some prayer cards and said, hey, would you pray for me that the Lord would just look after me, I'm gonna go to Israel this time. And I wasn't exactly sure what to do. And I gave them out to my friends. Two weeks before I was about to leave, um, I'm working, and someone says, someone called me and said, "Oh, you're not going to Israel anymore, are you?" I've said, um, "Yeah," and they started laughing. Like, oh, no, "I don't think you are. It's all over the news. Israel started a war with with Lebanon, the second second Lebanon on war in 2006." I was like, "What?" And it was all over the Herald Sun. All these Aussies were trying to get out of Lebanon um, through Beirut which is really sad. We should pray for that city as well with everything that's happening there. You know, that city really needs the Lord. We need needs help at this time. But they were coming out via boats and um, Hezbollah were bombing Israel and Israel was doing counter-strikes into the city, into, into the, nor- um, the southern region of Lebanon. All flights had been restricted. Um, no one was flying in. And uh, my friends were like, you're not going anymore. And I remember sitting there thinking gosh, like either I've really got this wrong, like, you know, back in March, the Lord just spoke so wrong to me, or this is the divine time of God for me. He knew this was going to happen back in March, and he he wanted me to go. And so, um, cut a long story short, uh, I was like a week before, my pastor calls me up, and he's like, oh, you're not going to Israel, are you? I hope you're not. I'm like, no, I'm still going. He said, like, you're crazy. And and my, my, some of my family, my grandparents called me up and they said, you shouldn't be going to Israel right now. This is crazy. It's full war-torn. And my parents were called me up and they said, have you got enough money for this? And um, they said, we, feel we have a peace. It's sort of crazy. We've all prayed as a family. We have a peace about you going, but just want to make sure you've got enough finances. And I said, sure, mum and dad. God's got me covered. I'm so sorted with the finances. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, a, was it five days before I was about to leave. I was like, Fully committed, I bought my travel insurance, which spent my last $450, I think, that I had in the bank account. So I literally had about hundred bucks left to go to Israel on for 10 weeks. And it was a full war-torn um, you know, situation. Anyway, I ended up finding, got my flight there. And just before I left, that day, those five, that five, fifth day, just after I bought my travel insurance, I remember just being on my knees and praying and just going, God, have I heard from you clearly and as clear as day? It was like those words that Peter heard. Come, you know. You know, I just, as Peter sat in that boat, the disciples thought maybe he was a ghost. But when he heard the voice of Jesus, he knew it was him. I love that passage Jesus says about the sheep. He says, the sheep know my voice and they hear me. And I want to encourage you, you know the voice of God. It may be in the midst of the distraction of the storm around you. And at this time when I was in, going about to head to Israel, there were so many distractions, there were so many people, so many opinions around what I should be doing. There were so many different factors playing into it, including not having enough finances, not even knowing where I was going to stay, what I was going to do, and why would I go to a country that was at war? This lady called me up five days before I left and she said, Hey, Jalil, and I'm like, yeah, she's like, you still going to Israel? I'm like, yeah, she's like, I just feel like God's put you on my heart. I can't stop thinking about it. And he's put a bank account on my heart. And the Lord had told me I need to pray for three grand. And she said, I want to give you, I, um, I you $3,000 for your trip. Boom, like that. Popped it straight into the bank account. So now I'm going right. Jumped on the plane. I remember flying over. We had to stop in a on an island in Malta, and they, the uh, because the travel um, the air hostesses had host had to get off and shift over, and the Israelis had to get on. And uh, then we flew into Israel, and I landed there. I got picked up by the parents, the mother of this Israeli girl that I'd met out here in um, in Melbourne, whose parents were. Um, pastors in Be Sheva and I went off and stayed in Beshevar and I remember lying there on my back like a day in and they had a, uh, they had a friend who had a swimming pool it was so hot it's like 40 degrees in July in the desert and I'm lying there on my back just thinking what the heck like I'm in Israel it's at war and I'm floating on my back at a youth group in a pool with F-16s flying over my head what the heck and um as i was floating there the lord just said i've got you here for a purpose just trust me and the next day i got a phone call and before i knew it i was um invited to go and help out a a youth camp that was in the wilderness their parents had sent them down from the north and they were having a camp and they hadn't sent them back because the war had started and the kids had run out of food there was about 80 kids and Next, we are running a full humanitarian operation around Israel, feeding poor the people who were like literally um, living on the beaches in Israel. They had no food. Um, the war stretched on from two weeks. They thought it was going to be over in two weeks to um, nine weeks. So the week before I left was to come back to, from from Israel to Australia. The war ended, and. Um, and through those, those nine weeks, we were just flat out feeding people and just helping people and loving people. And it was really dynamic. A lot of the, a lot of the um, missionaries and a lot of the volunteers had left the country when the war had started or just before the war. Um, but what was the lesson I learned out of that? To, keep, to learn to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, it was when Peter got out of that boat that he was able to, when his eyes were on Jesus, fixed on him, transfixed on him, He got to walk into the arena, into the kingdom, into the authority, into the environment that Jesus was experiencing in that moment. And that takes me to this passage. I just had a couple of passages that I wanted to look at just around that because the Lord's been speaking to me through this season to not, I feel like the biggest plague that the enemy, the the biggest card the enemy's playing on the world right now is distraction. It's causing people to have mental health issues. There's fear everywhere. There's the media's fear-mongering. It's just like, it's crazy right now. There's so much distraction. And the Lord is inviting us to actually, as people of the kingdom, to not be swayed by the wind and the waves of our time. And the way that we do that is we learn to actually fix our eyes on Jesus, to become aware of his presence every day and every moment. And to not allow those distractions to come in, but actually do the opposite. So let's look at Hebrews 12 quickly, and I'll wrap this up. I don't want to make this a really long message, but I just felt like in this season, there's people who need to hear this. Hey, So Hebrews 11, let's just return to Hebrews 11, verse 1, one of my favorite passages. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. That word commendation literally means to be witnesses, to be those who carry a testimony. I, I want, this is a season as believers for you to, to experience your testimony. Mm, come on. This is a season as believers for us to look different from the world around us yeah. because our hope is not found in the financial market Our hope is not found in the cares or the worries of this world. Our hope is found in something that's unshakable, the cornerstone of our lives and the cornerstone of actually the fabric of this universe, which is Jesus, the creator of all things. And it's time, I feel like there's there's a season that, that, that you've been under attack I think the church has been under attack through hell, through a whole lot of different things. It's time for us to contend for this testimony that God wants to give us. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Guys, what did Peter walk on? He walked on the word of Jesus. Come, C-O-M-E. What do we walk on through this season? The Word of God. It's what created everything. It's the issue is that is why Jesus hates doubt and unbelief is because it actually erodes at our ability to engage with His Word and trust it and experience His power. And that's why He, he he's not, wasn't angry with Peter. He was upset with a world that had so little faith in His Word. Come. If it's you, Jesus, ask me to come to you. Come, come, come and sit with me. Be seated with me. So Hebrews 12:1 1 um, goes on. We've just, if you read Hebrews 11, it says, testimony of all these amazing people of old who've done incredible feats. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these ones that have gone before us, let us also lay aside every weight And sin which clings so closely. This is not a season for us to play around with sin. It's not a season for us to get distracted. Guys, if you're struggling with sin in your lives, the best way to get free from it is shift your focus back to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Him. It wants to cling so closely around us. And He says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, I love the NIV, it says fixing your eyes on Jesus. That word looking is aphoros, which means to turn the eyes away from other things and fix fix them on something else. It's a shifting. Turn your eyes away from those things that are making you afraid, the things that are distracting you, things that are just robbing you from time. Maybe it's social media. Maybe you're just on their way too much. Maybe it's reading the news. I don't know. Maybe it's Netflix. Shift your eyes away from that. If you're struggling with issues, you're not experiencing the power of God in your family life, shift your eyes onto Him, the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who wrote it out. He's the one that perfects our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We get to know him, folks. We get to know the creator of the universe, the cornerstone of the world, the cornerstone of our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, we all know this one. It says, verse 1 You were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. This is not what we do anymore. We don't live in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, this is good. This is, you know, I feel like the enemy will rob us from intimacy with God, from us even fixing our eyes on Him if we forget the reason why we've been saved and and how He's done it. It's by Him being rich in mercy. He loves you. His, His mercy towards you is rich because of the great love which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. You're in Christ. You've been made alive with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guys, there's a season, there's a place for you to sit that God has already placed you in. It's in Christ. And the only thing that needs to shift is, the thing, is between your ears, everything else has been done. I love that passage, uh, you know, what Chris Gore said last week. He said, any time, um, what do you say? Separation from Jesus is a false reality. If you feel separated from Jesus, you feel like he's a million miles away, you don't feel like you have desire for him right now in your heart, all these different things, I want to say that they're a false reality. And so my prayer is often, when I, if I feel that way, if I don't feel like pursuing the Lord, I don't feel like knowing Him or increasing in relationship with Him, instead of beating myself up and trying harder, the good question that I like to ask the Lord is, Lord, what am I believing that's a lie about You, about Your goodness? That would make me shift my eyes from You and put my faith in the wind and the waves? Put my faith in my situation, the kids screaming at home, the intensity of this situation, the faith that I'm not going to be able to get through this, that I'm not able to get through this situation, that I can't overcome this sickness, I I will never see breakthrough in this. What is it that I'm believing that's shifted my eyes off you and onto the waves because I know that you've got a place for me. You've invited me to be seated with you in heavenly places and that you want me to walk in authority over this situation. I don't know what it is. For me, sometimes it's wrapped up in the goodness of God. Sometimes a little lie comes in and says that I need to try harder, that I need to be better. But it's by grace that I've been saved, not by works, but by faith. You know, the only thing that Peter had to do was say yes to Jesus and get out of the boat. Maybe it's we're relying on these natural things that are only gonna fall apart and get shaken instead of stepping out and trusting the Lord. So I encourage you today, set your eyes on Jesus. This world is in full distraction mode. As believers, there's an antidote to that, and that's setting our eyes yes. upon Him. That's the antidote. We don't have to shift. We don't have to move. We don't have to be, be blown about. We don't have to sink. We get to walk upon the waters. We get to walk into the supernatural. And I encourage you, your lives at home this week are going to be supernatural as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray and you close your your eyes and you place your hand on your heart. I'm going to say a prayer of face over you. Jesus, I thank you that this week that the supernatural power of God is going to reign in families' homes in Jesus' name. God, that just as Peter walked on water, which is naturally impossible, Lord God, that the things that are impossible in people's homes, in their lives, will be made possible in Jesus' name. That sicknesses will be reversed, that degenerative diseases will be reversed in Jesus' name. That mindsets, Lord God, and opinions and ideas and depression will be replaced with joy and there'll be no natural cause but the power of God in Jesus' name. Well, we welcome you into our lives. We set our gaze upon you. And Lord, I ask that, that we would learn to not just not be distracted, but would shift our eyes from the distractions and we'd look into the author, the lover of our souls, would look into your eyes of love and devotion and we'd set our gaze upon you, Lord. And we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be swept up. Lord God, in the conspiracies and the worries and the cares, Lord God, because we know that all these things are going to shift and change and they're not eternal anyway. We thank you that you are. So we trust you this week. And God, I thank you for the multiple miracles and breakthroughs that are going to not just bless our homes and bless our families, but bless our communities and our city as well in Jesus' name. Amen.